Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. This is episode number four with our guest, Nicholas Barely. On today's episode... So that was actually more impactful. I had a problem with wanting to do... Wanting to have other people's approval was something that I really grew up with because I felt like if I had their approval, then I was doing the right thing. And I found out really quickly quickly through my life that doing what everyone else wants for you is very suddenly going to get you to the result that you want. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah. I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. And just like that, it's episode four of The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Thanks for tuning in. I am your host, Josh Carey. Nicholas Barely is the founder of The Billion Dollar Body, which is a lifestyle brand for high-performing men to achieve health and wealth. But please don't be fooled, most everything we discuss today is fully applicable to the women in our audience too, I promise you that. There is so much fascination here with Nicholas, his brand, and his story, least of which is that he's only 26 years old and has already accomplished amazing things. But... One of the most eye-opening parts of our discussion is when I asked him to define in his own words, what exactly is a billion-dollar body? Now, what I loved is that it's not so much about six-pack abs and chiseled arms, but rather, as with most things on this journey through life, it's about your mindset, your outlook on things. In other words, if you today, right now, begin to treat your body as if it's worth a billion dollars, and really, how could you put a price tag on its value, you will inadvertently and quite deliberately treat it that way in every regard. Think about it. You will consider more intentionally what you put into your body, how you fuel your body, how you rest your body, right? That alone was so impactful for me to begin embracing. It's nothing more than a shift in how you view and care for your body. And this, my friends, is only minute one of our dialogue. Believe me when I say Nicholas is genuine, accomplished, and has a story that will give you the chills. Here we go. And here we are. The on-air button is flashing. You know what that means. My favorite time of the week. We are up and running. And to join me today, it is the magnificent, the incredible, the extraordinary, I might add. It is the Nicholas Barely. How you doing, my man? Dude, I'm doing great. You just raised the energy on me big time. I'm going to roll with it as well. Uh, I'm so grateful to be here. Everyone that's listening, uh, just give yourself a pat on the back. 50% of success is just showing up. And so you're here, and that means that things can happen. My life was changed in a moment for the negative, which we may talk about, but it also was changed for a moment in the positive direction as well. And those types of moments happen when you show up. So congratulations. 
Absolutely incredible intro. I love that. And we absolutely are going to talk about all that because you know what I love to do on this show is, yes, we're going to talk about your resume and your credits and everything you've achieved, um, you know, to bring you to the successful level that you are today. But I love to pull back the curtain and go deep and go back to see what got you there. What were some of the, the, uh, pitfalls that got you there and we're going to do all that so i want to start first because i know you are the founder of the billion dollar body and i want to ask you because i've been thinking about it and really giving myself some different answers but who better to ask than you how, how do you define what does that mean a billion dollar body let's say versus a million dollar is it something internal or is it external yeah, that's a great question. So first off, body can be thrown in a few different ways. Body also means community. And right now we have a goal of creating over a billion dollar net worth inside of that community. The second thing is without your body, you can't do anything. And so when I look at Steve Jobs, for instance, he says, I would have given a billion dollars to stay alive for one more year. So he put a dollar figure on a year and I thought, okay, cool. Like you can't ever buy health, right? You can buy supplements, you can buy a trainer, you can buy all these other things. But once you lose health, you can't buy it back. You can buy women, right? Tons of them all around you if you want to, but you can't buy love. And so I noticed that the reason why things are a higher investment or of high quality is that there's only a certain amount of Ferraris. It's a high quality item and because there's a limited amount, all of a sudden there's more like supply and demand. And when I look at diamonds, people thought the same way right now that we're finding out diamonds aren't that scarce, but it all comes down to that like how rare is this, like how exclusive and like how how many people have access to this experience and i realize that that's what really matters and when it comes down to something like this nothing when it comes to love when it comes to happiness when it comes to health none of it you can buy and so everyone always asks me how do i create a billion dollar body and i go dude it's pretty simple since i work with men i'm like this is how it happens you realize that you already have one and you treat it that way when i see a ferrari I see people wax them. I don't see them drive through the, the spray car wash at the Chevron or the Arco. I see them change the oil for whatever the investment is. I see them put on the maintenance. I don't see them put on four different tires. And I don't see them park them outside like they do with a 1990 Honda Civic. And there's nothing wrong with either car. It's about what is that the value amount for that car to them? If, the, if that Honda Civic is $220,000 and the Ferrari was $220,000, they'd probably go with the Ferrari unless they were just one of those stickler people that just had to prove everyone wrong, which there's always those people out there. <laughs> and then from there, like they would treat it a certain way because of the investment. And T.D. Jake says that there, when there is no human investment, there is no human appreciation. So our body was were given to us for free. When we all of a sudden put a dollar investment on it, if I had to invest in my body, like imagine if we actually got to choose, hey, your hand's about a billion bucks, your other hand's a billion dollars, your legs are a billion dollars. All of us be walking around immobilized because we're all cheap asses, like when it comes down to it. And so when I looked at it, I said, man, we have the highest performing machine that we experience all goodness and all feelings of life. The only reason we could even feel success is because of our internal state, that even if we got stabbed by something, the only reason we feel pain is because of something internal, not external. And so every single thing that happens to us or through us happens first internal and then manifests external. If you can have value for your body, you'll treat it a certain way. If you treat it a certain way, you're going to get a result. Your billion-dollar body is already there. You just don't know it yet or else you'd be investing in it that way. What would be the monthly payment on a billion-dollar body, you know, like 80 grand a month? Come on. My goodness, I'm, I've gotten the chills all throughout that. So if I could dissect some of that, if I understand this whole thing correctly, and I love that definition, it's all about, tell me if I got this right, it's all about mindset. So today, right now, here and now, I can say, you know what, I, I have a billion dollar body and own that in the mindset, which will then color all of my thoughts, all of my actions, all of my feelings, and then I have one, and what you're saying is that's the very first step into obtaining the, the lifestyle that you want? 
Yeah, so the lifestyle is the billion dollar body lifestyle. I'm going, man, you are the number one asset. You first. So many people out there, they think that, man, if I could just get perception on everyone, and I don't want to call out names, but there's a guy that owns three really huge companies, and he has a family. He's been in divorces. I'm not a, like I'm not here to talk about divorce because things happen, and and there's you know. Hindsight is always 2020, but ultimately we'd love to have the skill set to have deep, long, meaningful relationships. Now, this person also had kids. Now, the kids in the family don't really like this individual, and he's pretty famous. So I'm like, man, I'm like, why is that? Why isn't it more important? There's millions of people that love this individual that have never met him before. But really, it's all supposed to have true success starts with yourself, loving yourself and impacting the people that are closest to you and caring more about what people close to you that actually know what you think of you than the people out there that can, you know, worship you based on all their um, assumptions, you know, all the perception that you can create in the world. I look at, you know, what does this guy's wife think about him? What does this woman's husband think about her? What do the people around that person think about him or her? And that to me is true success because out, outside of that, that can be a ripple effect. But having people that have no clue who you are look at you through a lens called social media about your best moments, that you can angle a camera a certain way, talk a certain way, that's all perception. And, and perception is reality, which is why it works. Uh, but assumption is also a very tricky tool. So that's just the way we attack it, and that's where we created the Billion Dollar Brotherhood. I realized that through creating that, it's the balance of health, business, and relationships all in one. I coached 600 men one-on-one -on -one over five years. And through that, I realized that there was three main categories, health, they're busy, they're all businessmen, and their relationships. Little did I know those are actually the three freaking markets that you could ever go into in business. I thought I had a freaking epiphany, dude. I was like, this is it. And I realized everyone already knows that. They're like, yeah, good job rediscovering that the world's not flat, it's round. Well, I figured that out and I go, okay, what encompasses these things? Because I've always been really good in business at breaking down things into their my new elements to know exactly what elements it takes to build that end result. So I'd be like, I want a live event. Okay, what does it take to have a live event? What does it take to do all those items I just wrote down? What does it take to do all those items? Until they're down to the elemental steps. And we did the same thing with people's health. Health was their number one priority. We plugged into their calendar that way. We set up a game plan, mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional. Boom, done. Everything falls in those categories. We set up things for their relationship. We had their relationship higher than their business. Now, I'll tell you, almost 100% of the men would not put their wife relationship above their business, especially if they looked at what when push comes to shove, where the priority comes. That's why we always have to look at these week after week. It's even hard for me. There's times where if you don't fill your calendar, someone else will, right? And the world will fill your calendar if you don't do it and set the priority. So we set up all those relationship goals um, and, and different things to do every single day. And same when it came to the business, because it's normally those priorities outside of those three that don't really contribute to your end goal. And so ultimately it became a lifestyle where we're changing the dictionary definition of what it means to be a businessman. So we took on this, this feeling or this, this mandate to redefine businessman because now it's like, oh, we're an entrepreneur, we're all these things, whatever. But I look at businessman, I see it as a term that's been used for so long that's less used now. And when it's looked at, it's looked at a guy who sacrifices family that drinks. And when I ask people, I'm like, what do you think of the traditional? They're like, oh, he drinks after work. He doesn't go to the gym. He doesn't take care of himself. He thinks he's going to be rich, but he's probably going to eat it one day. And just like all of a sudden, everything's going to be gone. He's the guy that loses it every single day, super stressed. And I'm like, great, thank you. We're on a mission to redefine what that means, to make it a lifestyle where they're prospering in all three areas of life and in brotherhood actually accomplishing everything that they want. See, so many men, they grow up with a mom, the dad, I just made a video about this, but the dad goes to work for the last hundred years. The dad goes to work rather than working on the farm. The kid doesn't go with the dad to work on the farm, so he doesn't know how to be a man. The kid gets raised by the mom that teaches him how to be a man based on what women want men to be, but it's not what men, women are attracted to which is also a problem. You go to school and from five to uh, high school, you have eight out of nine of your, of your teachers being women as well in an institution that's telling you how to do certain things that are ran by women. No offense, like women are way cooler than men. That's why I don't have to work with them. They already know all this stuff. They're the ones who already want to do it. It's the guys that screw the whole thing up. And so when I look at that, I go, this isn't working. It's new. And all these guys don't know what it looks like to actually be a powerful man. 
when they think of masculinity, they look back at the men that used to beat their kids and beat their wife and used to give no one opinions. That's not true masculinity either. It's a bad lens. But I look at it as a king. As a man, you are a king. You probably want a queen. I haven't had one of our guys not want a queen yet. What it takes to be a king is that you take 100% responsibility of the kingdom, all the problems and everything. Everyone would say that for a CEO, but when it comes to a king, they're like, what? You know, CEO, if anything happens in your organization, it's your fault. It doesn't matter. It's all your fault. At the end of the day, you take 100% of the blame. In the family, in the relationship, and in life, the king takes 100% of that blame as well. The queen gets 100% of the king's authority without any of the responsibility none of the weight on the shoulders, which allows her to be creative and allows her to execute without the fear of having to have the repercussions of messing up. And that's what we've created in our relationship dynamic. And that's why we've been able to build BDB together. It's because I take the weight and she's able to perform. And I'm the king taking 100% responsibility for myself and the closest people around me. Absolutely incredible. I can't wait to uh, dive back into how you got this way and we'll do that in just a minute but some of the things i wrote down i absolutely love and agree with you know the the quote of loving yourself first you know it took me over 40 years of my life to really understand that and in that meddling of trying to find myself and find somebody to love me and wondering why geez why isn't this happening why does nobody understand me or value me or respect me or love me why do you think that was because I didn't love myself first it became such a simple light bulb moment that you know what josh you have to love your first yourself first yeah man even if yeah. people did love you you would have never noticed it because you would have been looking through a crappy lens right they say what we hate in others is actually truly what we hate in ourselves and not all the time but for the majority of the time that's totally true that's why there's an old like two thousand year old saying that says like if you want to take the stick out of someone else's eye, take the log out of yours. Meaning like if you're trying to fix that little tiny thing in that person, probably look at yourself because it's a big old log of stuff that you have to fix. It's so darn true, and I love going down that path. The whole the whole similar concept of if you're talking with somebody or seeing somebody do something and it angers you and frustrates you and really pisses you off. It's because it's evident in you. Isn't that what you just said? Absolutely. And again, that's where it comes down to you taking 100% responsibility. When people go, I can't believe this person, this employee did this to me, this did this, whatever. I go, dude, I totally see how that's wrong. But why is it affecting you? Yeah. That's like, that's your job. Because it, yeah. it affecting you isn't helping the situation at all. And I get why. But I think there's so much we think that things happen to us. Like the, the things external manifest here. I always say pressure doesn't create weakness. It exposes it. Mm. That in a pipe, if the pressure were to be turned up, it only will burst in the weakest part of the pipe. And so the pressure didn't create the weakness in the pipe. The p weakness was already there. The pressure turned up, exposed the weakness that was there. Just never had that kind of pressure. So when I look at opportunities or when things come up in my life, I'm like, okay, this wasn't created by the situation. I didn't just get worse. That's what people think. Man, maybe I've just fallen back. Maybe I'm just like not where I used to be. I'm like, no, you're having a different pressure that exposed a different weakness that was already there, but you just didn't see it because you weren't in the high pressure situation. Now you have an opportunity to deal with it in that moment. You said it exactly because instead of looking at it as that negative, like you said, no, man, you now have that opportunity. Consider it a gift if you're willing to say, okay, let me take the responsibility, which again, for more than 40 years was one of the biggest pills I had to um, figure out how to swallow, <laughs> that it's not about others. It's everything is your responsibility and your choice. And I'd love your take, Nicholas, on choice and how choice affects where we are or where we aren't. What says you? Yeah, man, it's a, Tony Robbins says, and I always love looking, success leaves clues. So I'm looking at, you know, what are people before me that have already achieved this? Where's their outlook? How can I compile information to make a decision on my own? I think when people listen to one person only, it's kind of like a cult. I like listening to different opinions, different people that have had success in different ways, put them all together. And one thing that I noticed from Tony Robbins is it's in the moment of decision that your destiny is shaped. And when you say 
choices, right? It's decisions, same exact thing. Mm -hmm. It's in those moments of decision that you really shape your destiny. And a lot of people let the world and the flow of the world uh, choose their destiny for them. But there's also another quote that says only a dead flesh fish floats downstream. Hmm. And so a lot of people go through life floating downstream. While some of us find the right way and make the correct decisions. And, the, you know, that one of my mentors says, you know, you made the wrong choices, listen to the wrong voices. You know, he's like a little rapper a little bit. And it's like, you know, when you listen to the wrong voices, when you're not surrounded by the right people and you don't have the right mentors to consult, and when you don't have a clear vision of what you're trying to accomplish, you're just, you're suspect any which way. So those are the three things that we always want to set up for every single man. It's like, okay, who are the mentors that you can trust and listen to so you're not getting everyone's two cents because it's only worth two cents? Who are the people you surround yourself with every day? Because people get confused just because you can call up, you know, George W. Bush or like whoever the heck you want to call one day. Like just because you can have the contact to call Floyd Mayweather doesn't mean he's your buddy that pours into your life every day. He may can give you consult. That's called like a mentor or a, someone who consults or someone that's helping you. But people look at that and they think that's who they're associated with. That is not who you're associated with unless you're spending time with those people. So that's where it goes to that five people you surround yourself with. That's going to influence your choices, your values, and everything. I was in a group where the number one thing was giving in that group. That was like the biggest thing you got recognized for. And I noticed something so interesting that if you were in a gang, you get noticed for beating people up, for stealing, for whatever it is. I don't know gangs that well, but you know they do those sort of things. Now, in this community, you got recognition, which is what people always want, right? Uh, it says attention. Men men die for it. Babies cry for it. It's such a big deal. Like, we want to be seen. We want to be heard. And I noticed that even if you had a bad heart, a bad ambition, you could give your way into attention, meaning, like, give money. So, But they're still giving money, which is a great action. Like, the action, even with selfish behavior, was correct. And so when you put someone in the right environment, even if they haven't changed yet, but they only get their value through doing the things that give them attention, all of a sudden they've set up these bumpers basically. Like you're bowling with the little bumpers on the side of the lane and it's like, though I'm selfish, I'm going to give. Giving is going to give me the right result even though I'm doing it for the attention. At least they're creating the right outcome with selfish ambitions until they can change rather than a gang that says, if you don't do this stuff, then you're not going to get recognized. Then kids go out there and they jump people and they accidentally kill someone on accident. Why? Just because they finally wanted to be recognized, wanted to be seen, wanted to be seen as a leader. And so it's very interesting how the cultures and environments that we're in dictate what we value and want and ultimately dictate our actions, which will dictate our results. I want to go back a while and connect the dots. Bring us back to your childhood as a very young toddler. Paint that picture. What was your home life like? Yeah, so this will be – a lot of people I think will relate with this. I don't think I'm any different than most people. Um, I was born 1992, and in that time, I I have no real memory until I was about two years old, which is still pretty young. But I found out that my mom went to school. My dad ran a business. And so I was in daycare from one to two years old. Uh, from two to five years old-ish, I was in uh, preschool. like So basically daycare again. So I really was never not in daycare, which gave me tons of anxiety, tons of separation anxiety. My number one love language was quality time. My second one was acts of service. So I never got any of my quality time, so I never felt loved, no matter what people did, what they bought, what they said. None of that mattered to me because that's not the way that I felt loved. And so at this point, like, you know, I've been in the institution, right? Like, it it just felt uncomfortable. And so uh, maybe some people can relate to that, that I didn't grow up, like, perfect home, you know, that whole thing. Four years old, my parents split up. And so I was at this point, I had already been racing bicycles for two years. At two years old, I was the youngest kid at the time in the world to start racing two-wheel bicycles on a racetrack. Um, and I learned some valuable lessons from that as well. Like, what's the point of having training wheels? They're just crutches that keep you from falling, but they don't actually help you with your end result. I'm like, oh my goodness, you're so right. Like, wow. I didn't have training wheels, and it had me accomplish something that no one else had accomplished before. Youngest kid in the world to start racing bicycles. At five years old, I, or four years old, I got my first motorcycle. So I started racing motocross. I thought this was going to be my destiny, my end goal in life. My parents were split up, lived 10 minutes away from each other. My stepmom lived in the house. I was so depressed and messed up from all the different, like, 
anxieties that I had and the different things going on in the family. I had a brother that had a different dad. I had a sister at seven and a half that had a different mom, like all these different things going on uh, and pressures and anxiety on me that I wrote my first suicide letter when I was seven. And I remember my parents finding it. We never really had a big conversation about it, but I was just like, I'm in so much trouble. I hate myself so much. Like, why am I even here? Yeah, at the same time, I was racing motocross on the weekends thinking like, that's what I want to do with my life. And the reason why I think deep down, I've gone to some EMDR therapy to try to figure this out. I think the reason deep down is I thought that would be the only way that I could get my dad's approval. The only way he would notice me is if I did what he wanted me to do. And so I would think about that, be like, maybe if I do really, really well, like then all of a sudden we'll just like, everything will be perfect. Like everything will work out. And so that's what I did. I raced until I was 13 years old. And I remember being 13 years old and going up to my dad and being like, dad, I want to be the best in the world. Maybe this will be that one thing that just like really makes him happy. And he turned around and he looked at me and he's like, you'll never be the best. I was so convicted to only be the best at the time. Uh, I know that most athletes, they hate losing more than they like winning. I was so convicted that I, I just got crushed inside. I didn't talk to my dad for three years. I went through high school. I went to summer school every single year. I got a 1.8 GPA, uh, barely graduated at all. I, I think they actually grandfathered me out of there because they felt bad. I was 60 pounds heavier by the end of it, and I hadn't had a girlfriend at that point all the way to afterwards for seven years. So when they talk about health, failing, 60 pounds overweight, business, I had no income, and I had nothing until I was 20, like not even one job. And then on top of that relationships, I had no clue how to do them anymore because I had no value for myself. Because everything that I found value in, which was the activities I was doing, I had lost. And at that point, I'd already given up on the entire dream of everything that I wanted to do in life. And so this is where I was at. Mm. And it all started with one kid bringing fruit to a meeting. And he had this like plan. And I was like, why are you eating that food? And he's like, oh, I have a boxing match coming up. I need to be the right weight and have high performance. So my coach put me on a meal plan. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I went home. And I was like, I'm going to get all these foods that he had in that bag. I did that. I lost 60 pounds in six months. And through investing in myself first, which again, I first had to have value in that investment and manifest it through actions. And it created a result in me, which was 60 pounds lost in six months. Throughout that process, I started gaining confidence. I realized that what Tony Robbins said was true. Progress equals happiness. When I was 11 pounds down, I was like, I'm going to go out like I need to go see my dad again. Like this is what rekindled my relationship with my dad. I went and got my license. I went and saw my dad again. I started surfing. I started getting friends. I started doing all these things. And it all started with that basis of health and gaining that confidence and not only creating a result, keeping a result, but growing a result. Those are the three stages that we take men through, whether it's health, business, relationship. How do you get the result? How do you maintain that result? Meaning like, how do you not flush all your money down the toilet <laughs> or whatever it is, sabotage yourself? And how do you grow it? Because uh, if progress equals happiness, if I were to give someone a lottery ticket right now, it wouldn't make them happy. An average of four years, they go bankrupt and they hated having winning the lottery a lot more than regular life because it complicated things. They didn't know how to get it. They didn't know how to keep it. And they didn't know how to grow that type of financial success. So they watch it dwindle, which is the opposite of progress. So for me, man, it really started with a basis of health first. I attracted my ideal wife, which came probably in a different order than people would say, like, you should be successful first. I don't know. I just don't really think about what the world says to do. I just do what's right. And so what I did from there is I got married with no job, no income. And that's when we decided, what's the way that we can create the life that we want? And that was through a business. Who are the people that we can serve the best? And that was male business owners. And that's what we started doing. We just have continued to, instead of having a product or a service that we want to shove down people's throats, we built a community of like-minded men that went through similar problems, had similar ambitions, and we served them really well. And that's what we've done to create BDB. Wow, fascinating to put it mildly. I want to go back to that pivotal moment you mentioned at age seven. You said you wrote a suicide letter at that young age, can you bring us back to that that choice, that decision? What like were were you aware of the magnitude of that action and what it represented, or were you just angry and this was your way to get it out? Looking back, how significant was that event? 
you know, it really was not that significant. I don't think that I actually knew what that, how significant it was. I knew it wasn't for anyone to see, but it was almost like my cry to myself for attention or help. It's like, maybe this will get it for me. Or maybe if I feel bad enough or if things are bad enough, someone will finally like recognize me. Right. So I think it wasn't that big. Like I really got over it quick. It really hit me when my parents found the note when I was like seven and a half and they were like, you know, freaking out obviously. And that hit me a little bit more because I got the opposite of what I wanted, which was my parents freaking out about a note that I wrote and I almost like almost got in trouble for it basically. So that was actually more impactful. I had a problem with wanting to do, wanting to have other people's approval was something that I really grew up with because I felt like if I had their approval, then I was doing the right thing. And I found out really quickly, quickly through my life that doing what everyone else wants for you is very suddenly going to get you to the result that you want. That, that, wow, took me. So, you know, I, I was right there too. I felt, you know, I, I'm just looking for external validation. And uh, even in the occasional times you think it comes, there's no, your, your life doesn't all of a sudden take off. What's the answer that it goes back to loving yourself first? Uh, yeah, I mean, the answer is also like the, the loving yourself first is the answer. It's just common knowledge isn't always common practice. So it's like, how do we create a system and a flow that makes that happen? For a lot of our guys, it happens. It, the biggest thing that I see it happen with is good community. I, I've tried the mentorship. I've tried coaching. I've tried results. You know, all these different things that I'm thinking, you know, maybe this would be the piece of the puzzle, but it was really just curing a symptom, right? It says that people have people problems or personal problems, not business problems. They just show up in their business. And so when I was fixing their health, even I was fixing a symptom of something that was going on in one of the areas of life. So that's where we became a lifestyle brand was like, if they're struggling in a relationship and it's showing up in their health, fixing their health doesn't fix the relationship. Fixing the root problem fixes the, the health problem. And I didn't know that. I was like, no, just follow the plan. And they followed it with the correct discipline and willpower. They would still get the result. It's just the problem would show up somewhere else. They're still that same person. And so it really comes down to how can you set yourself up for success with the basics? How do you have the correct vision, something that gives you life, something that you feel called to? How do you have discipline and commitment, which commitment means to follow through on what you said you were going to do after the feeling you set it in is passed? How do you exercise these different things to create the results that you want? Yeah, loving yourself is the answer, but I get that for some people, what are they going to do? Say, I, I love myself, I love myself, I love myself. No, immerse yourself in a community of people that are where you want to be. That right there is the answer. And show up there every single day, every single day, doing what they say, trusting the process. Like, believe me, it's not, there's no destination with this stuff. So it's not like you're going to wake up one day and not have any more problems. No, if anyone out there is a business person, like you can literally have the most exciting morning of your life and hate your life by the end of the night. Like it's just how it goes. It's called life. If you're actually doing it correctly, I feel like that's, those are the pressures that expose weaknesses that you get to deal with, but it's not fun. It's the hard things in life that push us forward. Tell us about the, the story in high school with the girl you knew, please. Yeah, so this was big for me because obviously I wrote a suicide letter when I was seven. And I remember at this point in high school, like I was pretty down and out. I wasn't in any type of sports. I didn't have the grades for it. I wasn't talking to my father. I wasn't doing any of that. But one thing that I did have was this class guitar class. I played classical guitar for three years in school. And in that class, I had two people that were partnered with me for those whole three years. It's two other girls and they were super awesome, great people. And we connected in that class mostly. We didn't really hang out outside of that, but we had like our secret friendship. You know, we didn't get along in all these other areas, but that music like brought us together. And I remember my senior year of high school, I was so self-conscious, meaning I was conscious of myself all the time, but it manifested with the fact of the way I looked. How did I feel? Like all these different things, right? Of like me always thinking about how other people perceived me and I was always thinking about myself. And so every single day, one of those girls, because obviously we didn't take guitar class our senior year together, this one girl passed me every single day. And every single day, I never said hello. 
even though we played guitar together for three years, every once in a while we'd give the head nod, hey, how's it going, you know, that whole thing, because I was afraid of what people would think of me, I was afraid of what she would think of me, I was afraid of her rejecting me, all these different things. I had 2,500 kids in my school. And so I went to this church actually for like the first time in my life, I had never been to one, I was like 18 years old, and I went to this church, and at this church I get a phone call uh, that my friend had hung herself. And at this point I'm like, you know, what the hell type thing. Like this had never happened to me before. And it was so crazy to see the amount of people that had impacted her or that were impacted by her life, but somehow didn't make a big enough impact in her to get her to not pull the trigger on that, to not wrap the noose around her neck, which is just, if you think about jumping off of a, a rock into water, you have butterflies in your stomach and you think about not doing it all days of the week because inside of your mind, your mind is built to keep you alive. And that's where we tell a lot of people to make more decisions with your heart and not just your head because your head is it's always trying to make sure you don't get hurt. It's trying to make sure that you're protected. And so you have to balance that out in today's day and world, uh, day and age because you know we're not jumping off rocks all day. And so imagine that that fight or flight that you have from the simplest things like the, the simple thing that you would do, even if there was like a hundred foot gap and a three foot gap between buildings and there's a hundred foot drop, you could easily step over a three foot gap but you'd still think about dropping 100 feet and it freaks you out and it gives people like the fear of heights, all these things. And so I just imagined what she had to go through to actually do that, how many times she contemplated. And I thought about the situations that she actually thought of. And I thought, man, like I, I went to my school and I was like, guys, we're going to have a, a remembrance time down the street on this date. It, she impacted so many people that that was the biggest, easiest event I ever threw. I gave word of mouth and there was 450 people that showed up and we didn't even like no invites, like no nothing, but like that's how many people like just through wildfire showed up to honor the life that she had lived. And so six months later I was, I was going down the street and I was like, what would it have taken? Like what voice would I have had to heard to actually like not have had her do that what would I really have had to say like hey Jamie you're awesome like I really appreciate you remember guitar class like those memories hold on like the stupidest thing it's not going to take me paying off all of her debt for the rest of her life like that's not what she's looking for at this point it would have taken just stopping for the person in front of me it wasn't thinking about myself and most entrepreneurs they do the opposite they think about all the people they want to reach they neglect everyone right in front of them and so I'm driving down the street and it's like 1.30 in the morning. I'm 18 years old. I'm in my truck. I'm like 20 minutes away from my house. And I'm still thinking about this moment. And I'm crying in my truck just like, man, like if I could just actually hear and listen and like serve the people right in front of me, life would be so different. And I'm like just thinking about like what would it be like if I just followed that like internal voice, like something that was guiding me, that I wasn't going through life like just like, you know, a uh, a bump on a log or something like that, just bumping off everything. Like, But if I actually could be guided and actually had a purpose and a destiny, what would life be like? And I thought the first step was to listen to those, to that voice. That first step was to take action on it because I thought, you know, if God's up there, I'm like, hey God, like I'm willing to do the work uh, and I'm gonna show you through just doing whatever I feel like I should do. And if you could just speak up a little bit louder, we could be a great team together. Like, I want to be used for this. So I get off on this exit, right, randomly in the middle of nowhere in an industrial part of town. I felt like, get off this exit. So I'm like, all right, here we go. Get off the exit. I'm like, this is probably stupid, but, like, at least I'm doing it. It's like, okay, turn left. I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn left. I'm driving, and I see this guy, like, tatted from, like, his feet all the way to his neck, and he had no shoes on. And I felt like, all right, stop for him. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm, I got this. This is awesome. Like, like this kind of weird, but no one's around. But like, what's next? What's next? So I turn around this parking lot, and I'm waiting for him to come up the street. And all of a sudden, he comes up the street, and I'm like, oh, this is anxious. I'm, I'm nervous or whatever. I don't even turn off the truck because I'm thinking I could peel out, right? He starts rushing my truck. This guy runs, sprints at my truck. And something comes to me in that moment because I'm like, what am I got to say? What do I got to do? Something comes to me in the moment. I say this thing and, and he stops right there in front of my truck. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, 
what's going on? Like he's freaking out, you know, they stopped him dead in his tracks or whatever. And everyone always asks me what I say, like if they want to know, like email me at nicholas at the billion dollar body.com. I've never really aired it before, so I don't really want to, but I definitely will share it with people. Um, and so at this moment, you know, he jumps in my truck and I'm like, maybe I'll, I'll give you a ride home. Right. Like I didn't know what to do at this point. I'm like, get in my truck. This guy's crying, freaking out. What's going on? What the heck? Why did you stop? Why are you here? Or like he's saying all these crazy things. And I'm thinking this guy's just freaking weird, man. Like I don't even know why I'm here. OK, I was listening to the voice. I got off on the side of the road. And at that point, man, I was like, he started telling me that his car had broken down and he sat on top of this hill for a couple hours looking at his car, wondering why had life been going so wrong for him? Everything had been going wrong, and this was like the last sign. And he was like, I, I, at this moment, I decided I'm going to go kill myself. Like, I'm going to commit suicide. But I had nothing to do it with on that mountain. And so I was on my way home, walking home, to be able to go home and commit suicide and kill myself. And then all of a sudden, I'm walking home, and some red little truck drives past me. And I said inside of my head that if this person uh, stops for me, I'm going to beat the crap out of them and he used a different word obviously i'm gonna beat the crap out of this guy like he was just like so furious that if anyone tried to stop him he was gonna just go out and just like absolutely murder me as well and obviously a little 18 year old 127 pound at the time i lost my weight nicholas stops on the side of the road for this guy says one thing stops him in his tracks gets in the car and at the very end of that drive i'm dropping him off at his house we get to talk we get to pray together and like just tell him like man there's something here like I listened to where I should go and I stopped in the industrial part of town at 1.30 in the morning on a weekday with not a car or person in sight and found you walking down the street and I was like this should show you right here how much you have a purpose and a destiny and so still to this day on Facebook we're still friends he has kids now uh, and actually runs a business in San Diego and it's like man like I was able to redeem that moment but most people don't think about that in the fruit that they can't see. That I followed and it worked out. But how many other times do you do something and you don't get to see the fruit? You do something and it did save their life, but you didn't know it. And so that's why I get on shows just like this. That's why I feel out where should I go, not what's the best logical opportunity. That's what the rest of the world does. And you'll always be fighting an uphill battle and fighting over all different people. Like, like there's tons of competition over the logical game. Because every single person's doing it. What's the best decision to make? What's the best priced item with the best value? Right? That's what everyone's trying to fight over. And in life, I feel that, man, if you can follow that, that voice, for me, it's God. Like I found out at 18 years old, I had never like, thought of anything like that before. And for me, I'm like, that's the way I want to live my life. Because it's in those moments that I'm able to reach out to the person like Jamie and not be so thinking about myself that I miss the opportunity. I don't think it would have taken much for her not to go over there and sit there and contemplate that noose for however long. Like, and looking at the people that jump off of the bridge in San Francisco, uh, every single person that has ever lived that fall from this, the Golden Gate Bridge has always said the second they jump off, all they feel is regret. But at that point, it's too late. And so when I look at that, there's a lot of people even on that bridge that could have said something to someone. Yet, as soon as they jump on the rail, then they start encouraging them. Then they start seeing that they need help at the point where it's too late. So if there's anything to add for people, it'd be to stop for the people in front of you. Serve the people in front of you really well. Take opportunities based on what you think is best, not just on what's the best path forward for you currently logically. And that way you can pull off on the side of the road six miles before your house, middle of nowhere, and have someone who's going to commit suicide not, but no one else was there to listen. Or else there would have been plenty of other people there that would have known that that was the time to get off on that exit. So be that person that's out there listening and stopping for the person in front of you. My goodness. The, it, like if I, if, if I was watching a Hollywood movie with that scenario, I would think this is the greatest Hollywood fictional movie ever. 
I mean, I'm sure you've had that moment that like, wow, this is really like a a movie. Like that does not quote unquote happen yeah. in real life. But you know what? It freaking does happen in real life. That's the point. It does happen in real life. So you. Well, I'll tell you real ahead, quick. I, I just a little bit of. I have to tell you a little bit of fruit then. So from there, I decided, you know what? I'm going to follow God's leading everywhere. Let's do this thing. And so I ended up getting in, uh, invited to a lunch. I went to a lunch, met an influencer. He got my number. I went back home. One day at 18 years old, he texts me. This is after this all happens. He goes, hey, I'm going night surfing an hour and a half away from me. Do you want to come? I'm thinking everyone else is probably going to be there. It's going to be stupid. I've never surfed here before, but I'll do it. I show up. I'm the only one who shows up. I get lost in the ocean for five hours, by the way. Like it was illegal and I get I, and I get left in the ocean because it was pitch black. So I'm on a surfboard by myself in the middle of the ocean for five hours just to be able to meet this guy. And we meet and he goes, I, I wish you were coming to Africa with me. I'm about to go serve the poor in Africa. And I was like, I am. I felt it in that moment. And I said, I am. So what did I do? I flew and I missed my flight home and stayed in in London I took a train from uh, Paris to Scotland, Scotland to London, and showed up in the airport when they flew in. And I said, I'm here. I told you I was going to come. And he was like, do you have any shots? Like, Do you have any of this? I'm like, uh, no. He's like, do you have money? And I was like, yeah. And I didn't have any money. And uh, I ended up being able to go on all those trips, but I showed up. Like, The biggest thing is, like, of course, yeah, it's great. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I knew that I was supposed to go. And I knew so much that I didn't even tell him. And I showed up at 18 years old. I was still 18 in the middle of a different country to go show up. And I flew to Africa with no shots. I went 10 hours into the bush in Mozambique with no shots. Went to a tribe that needed help. They had never even seen a white person before with no shots. <laughs> and I flew home with no shots, which is against the law. And so it's like in those moments, like you would never logically do that. And so there's opportunities out there for everyone. Everyone said the richest place in the world is the graveyard because it's where everyone goes to the grave with their destiny and purpose. All the dreams that they had in their life, they take it straight to the grave because they never lived a life that was like that. Wow. So you have obviously embraced and learned and understood how to listen and follow and trust your your intuition, your your uh, voice with God, your gut, all these things. How? How? How has that happened? Do you have any personal techniques that allow that? Like, like, how does that happen? Yeah, so <laughs> I definitely do. Uh, the first thing is obviously ha having a voice to listen to. People call it intuition, gut, whatever. For me, like I love the Bible. I love Jesus. Like that's just what I do. I literally I didn't go to church till I was 18 years old. Like I said, I actually I did seances before that, which is a whole different story. Like I was a jacked up kid. Okay, so if people think I'm some Bible thumping kid, believe me, I'm furthest from that. Ask all my guys. Uh, but that's just for me. So first is like, you know, um, that's just like if people want to know exactly what I do, that's exactly what I do. The second thing is actually, and I don't know if this is a messed up, broken way of thinking when I was 18 years old, and it may be, but I just thought, you know, if if there's so many things out there in the world that are against us and hate us and God loves us, you know, those things out there that hate us a lot of times are willing to speak to us and talk to us, our negative thinking, our negative thoughts. Like they come to us and they, you're like, this isn't even my thoughts. Like, how is this even happening? Like, this isn't me. Why am I thinking like I'm a failure, all these things? And people identify as those are their thoughts. I go, that's not my thoughts. That's not who I am. I know who I am. So that's one. And I thought, well, wouldn't like thoughts of love and grace and all these things come even stronger if there are stronger power than that? And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go show up and encourage people, try to give people words of encouragement. I'm going to go out there and try to find these instances where I could help people out in the moment of need. And I just told God, I was like, listen, I'm going to go and I want to be used and I'm willing to take the risk and step out. And, and this is broken on my part. So uh, if I offend any people out there, I apologize, but I'm like, I'm going, you can show up if you'd like. So I'm either going to be an idiot that goes out and tries to live my life on purpose and out of my destiny and you don't show up and I just was at least in my part because I can't control if I get the right 
leading. I've turned down streets a million times where I saw nobody. And I thought, maybe I didn't get hit by a car. I don't know. I'm like, maybe I would have gotten a car accident. I have no clue. Um, but what I do know is that I did what I needed to do. I did my part. I got off on that exit. I talked to that one person. I, I gave something to someone, right? You know, you feel like I should give this to this person every time. Like I've been on this kick that every time it says, I like your watch, I've given all my watches away now. I made a video about it. I'm like, Oh my goodness. I, Amanda caught me in downtown San Diego. She's like, we're going out to dinner. Where's your sweater? And I'm like, this homeless guy said, I like your sweater. And I said, do you want it? And he said, I want it. So I gave it to him. Brilliant. And it's like, Love that's that. my, that's my side. So my way of doing it is going, okay, w as long as everything that you're doing is encouraging, uplifting and loving. So that's the first thing that I run my filter through. I never will tell someone something negative. If it's something that I feel led to do, it, I'll never filter it through a negative light because sometimes we'll interpret what we feel through our own hurt and emotion. So I always make sure that is what I'm saying, uplifting, encouraging, all those things. You don't want to be the person that's like, you're lost and you don't know where you're going in life. Like, come on, there's enough of that. Not more like you have a purpose and a destiny. You know where you're going. There's opportunities. In, like that's a positive way of saying it. And from there, show up places and ask to be used. Feel what you should do and do it. And if it's an encouraging way and you're willing to show up, why wouldn't you get some help at that point? You're one of the only people in the world. I thought, man, I'm the minority. Who else is walking around the world right now going, how can I help? I'm willing to listen. Let's go. And I thought, wow, like even if I'm not that loved, even if I'm not like, and the, believe me, God's not a respecter of persons. He loves everyone the same. But I'm like, in my broken thinking, even though I think I may not be the most loved or the most gifted or the most talented, if I'm willing to show up and be used, why not? Almost like, you know, uh, there's an old quote, quote of this lady that was a, a, a servant and she wanted help. And she went up to this really like famous like guy that had lots of authority and was like, I need help. And the guy was like, you're basically like a dog. Like in our culture, you're a dog. You're like a low life lady that has no respect here. And obviously this was a different time of life. Um, no respect for this woman. And she says, yeah, but doesn't even the dog get the crumbs off the master's table? Like, can't you at least give me something, even if I'm a dog? Because even the dogs get the crumbs off their master's table. And that's how I felt. And really, at the end of the day, I was like, even in that type of thinking, why wouldn't you be used if you're willing to do something? So I would follow the leading and do it. I remember going to Vaughn's. Uh, which is a grocery store and being like, I'm going to go in there and see if I can help some people and just see if I can follow this voice. And if I help people, great. If I don't, then whatever. But hey, God, I'm here. And if you want to show up and help me out here, I'm just going to look like an idiot all night and I'm willing to do my part. And if you could show up and do quote unquote your part, I'd be grateful. <laughs> wow. What a, wow. What a fantastic way to live. Wow. Great. Um, do you believe everything happens for a reason? Um, I think everything can be used for a greater purpose, but does everything happen for a reason? It's a tough, it's a tough line to walk, you know? Um, I definitely don't. There's many things that I've, I've been able to personally intervene on because I chose to, and I could have chose not to. And either way, you know, like I had a guy the other day, he goes, uh, I have a 40 person program that we have with two spots left. And he's like, I'm on a trip when I get back. If there's a spot open, I'll take it as a sign. And I'm like, well, I could easily keep the spot open or I could easily fill it. Like you're going to really live your life that way by missing opportunity and like not taking action. That's kind of a stupid way for me, in my opinion. I'm like, not going to happen. Like I could easily manipulate that outcome. So I believe everything can be used for good. Um, but I don't think everything happens like it's not like that. That was in the grand scheme of the plan. That's for sure. Um, because if so, then I have to say that uh, Jamie died for a reason. I think we I've used it for good. I, I extracted all the gold out of something that was super negative to make sure that it wasn't a negative experience. I used it for good. You know, kids getting raped in different countries. Uh, I can use it for good. <laughs> And we can use it for good, but is it happening for a reason? No. Can it be stopped? Absolutely. And so it's like that, that's where I'm at on that. It's like, does everything happen for a reason? Eh, you could say that, but I think more so, can we use every single thing that happens that's negative for good? Absolutely. Wonderful. Love that. What one mantra do you live by today? 
Yeah, this is an interesting like thing. And the one thing that's like stayed with me that really helped me through all those like times where I went on all those trips and stuff like this has just stood the test of time so far. I was 18 years old and I remember sitting in my house and I remember feeling like I don't know how to make money. I need $9,000 to go on these trips. I'm calling homeowners. I'm calling all these things. I'm on eTrade.com. Like I'm trying to do everything that I can. And I felt deep down inside like don't work for it. Like this one time and believe me, I work hard now. But like at this point in my life, it was like don't work for it. And I didn't know why. Maybe it's because I didn't know what I was doing or something. And I remember sitting in my house and going like, okay, then I'm not going to work for this money. But like I was stressing out. So I was basically thought that my stress was helping me create the cash flow. Like we get in this weird sense where it's like when I get stressed, all of a sudden things happen. It's like, no, stress didn't make it happen. Stress just happens and you associate it with success. Okay. Like that's a problem, but that's where I was at. But I remember this quote coming to me and I was sitting there and I was like, I'd rather do what I know is right and fail. Meaning like I knew that I wasn't supposed to go out there and try to, you know, collect money, try to do little odd jobs or something. I knew deep down that wasn't the right thing to do at the time. So I was willing to do what I knew was right, which was like, just trust that it was going to happen and fail, meaning that I wouldn't get the money and I wouldn't go on the trip. At least I did the right thing, what I thought I should do rather than doing what I already know is wrong and succeed. So the quote together is I'd rather do what I know is right and fail in front of everyone else because it's only failure in front of the people that are looking at you, not for you because you won rather than, than do the wrong thing, which is go out there and get a job, live 50 years of my life, collecting a paycheck every single two weeks, and succeed in front of everyone else. Meaning that you did everything to be successful in front of everyone besides yourself. I'd rather do what I know is right and fail than do what I already know is wrong and succeed. And that's one thing that I've always done up to this point, is like, if I feel like this is the right way to do it, I'd rather do that and fail like in the world's terms in front of everyone else. And I'm okay with that. Once I accept that, it's cool. Rather than do what I already know is wrong and succeed, which is, you know, going against what you feel like you should do. And I think that right there was what kept me from getting a job until I was 20 and got me to start a business. That's what got me to hold out and like do certain things in my life and go out there. Like I I literally bought a $4,000 espresso machine to learn about the second most traded commodity in the world, coffee. $4,000 $4,000 machine. I paid a company to go work for them. I paid them 150 bucks at the time to work with them for a day instead of just getting paid to work for them. And my dad's like, why don't you go work at a cafe? Why don't you go work at Starbucks? I'm like, nah, like I need to do it my way and I'm going to progress quicker and they're going to stunt my growth. So I invested four grand for a machine plus into training rather than just going and working at a cafe. That's doing what I knew was right and failing in front of everyone else rather than doing what I already knew was wrong and succeeding in front of everyone else. What do you think happens when it's all over? Like when I die? Yes. <laughs> That's a good question, man. Um, for me, uh, I believe that I get to meet my creator. And we get to, and I have these different pictures. I motivate our guys a lot through telling them, what if I have to watch your life on the big screen for the rest of eternity? You know? Like, would you be happy with what I get to watch? Would it be even worth it? Like, it's fun to even see people fail. Like, I watch fail videos on Instagram all the time, okay? Like, those people at least took the risk and failed. My mentor says that um, he's a Navy SEAL, was a Navy Navy SEAL instructor, now advises on military projects in Hollywood. And he said that during SEAL training, the people that didn't show up, they don't get any respect from the SEAL, right? The people that want to go, they talk big game, but they don't even show up to BUDS they don't get any respect. The people that show up and quit the first day, they get respect for showing up. And the people that make it obviously get a trident, which is its own respect. And so when I think of, you know, going out, meeting my maker and people having the respect and thinking in like in my life, because at this point I'm done, right? Like what happens after that? I'm pretty pumped with, like I could think about it all I want. Maybe it'll motivate me, but I'm like, eh, I'm excited to see what that looks like. I wonder if babies think the same thing when they're in the womb, you know, it's like, I wonder what's going to be on the other side of this thing. And so for me, the biggest thing is like, if, if I put it in perspective that if everyone had to watch my life, would they be entertained for the rest of eternity? Even if I took, if, even if I took risks and failed, at least it's worth watching rather than playing it safe my whole life and everyone figuring that out. And I tell that to all of our guys and they freak out. And also if people have died, they would, uh, many of them would switch places with us right now. 
and they would gladly have more respect for life and do things differently. And there's many people that have passed away that wish they could come back down and give it a second shot that passed early. And it's only respect to live life full out, uh, to respect the fact that if they came back, they would give it their all. And so it's like, those are the things I focus on most. Do I think I'll meet my creator face to face? Absolutely. And I'm hoping that we can high five and be like, that was one hell of a run. You, you got me thinking, I love that visual of if I watched your life unfold on the big screen, would I be entertained? Would I like what I see? How would it play out? What a great exercise to do. I will leave you with this one final question. Nicholas Barely, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, that's a good question, man. I think first thing is who do I want to be remembered by? And the ones that I care about the most is the people closest to me, my family, my wife, uh, in the future, hopefully uh, I'll have kids before I die. Um, that'd be grateful or I'd be grateful for that. And so it's like the people that are closest to me and affecting them out. I want to be remembered by the guy that lived full out, that didn't leave anything on the table, that seized every opportunity and gave it excellence. And back in the day, I used to always say like, I want to be the most valuable man in the world, gave the most value. That's what I thought. And I even had a bracelet that said value. And then I realized that really, like I have to see value in myself and everything else would happen. I don't have to think about being the most valuable person. I just have to see myself as a person of value and I'll end up overflowing value into the world. So for me, I would say in this point in my life, I think it will change by the way. I'm 26. This was like when I was 23, I was saying that 24 and I was still doing well. Obviously I've grown and excellence is a big word for me because perfection is doing everything absolutely perfect, pristine, no problems. It doesn't exist. Excellence is doing the very best based on your current knowledge, skill set, resources today, making the best decision you can make, making the best investment you can make, and not regretting afterwards. So if I could do the best thing that I could do, I would live my life. At one, I'd want to fulfill my destiny personally to cap out my personal potential, to give it excellence every day and to live a life that had no regret. Well, this is absolutely going to be an episode I listen to on loop. It's just thank you, Nicholas. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Any final thoughts before we part ways? How do people normally answer that last question? Those couple questions, I was like in deep thought. You could hear my voice. I'm like going down, you know. How do people normally answer those? Uh, perhaps I'll uh, get a uh, collage of the answers. You know, it's all personal. How do people want to be remembered? Uh, there is a typical, you know, people naturally, I think you alluded to this earlier, they want to leave a mark on the world, right? They want to feel that they contributed. They want to feel of value. You know what I love about your answer? I love that you sort of show the other side of the coin, not how you want to be remembered initially, who you want to be remembered by. That's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, people are going to remember you for whatever, you know. It's like uh, you, you listen to the Sandlot, man. Heroes are forgotten, but legends never die. You know, or heroes are remembered, but legends never die. I'm like, yeah, like there's things you could do in this world where everyone will remember what you do. But like, what? who gives a crap? Like, what are you going to like be happy about that? What if they, what if you, what if you internally aren't happy with who you are? And you know that you were a fake and a fraud. And they remember you for something that's phenomenal, but you know it was fake. That still isn't worth it. So it's like, be real. And the biggest thing I can leave people with is the way that I show up right now with confidence and in everything that we do and the resourcefulness that I get is I laid down and I pictured myself 20 years from now. And I didn't think about what I had because I don't know if I have a floating car or you know a watch that can like run my life for me. Like Whatever it is in 20 years, I don't know. But I know how I'll feel. How will I feel about the knowledge that I have, the contribution that I've made? How will I feel about my expertise that I've grown? Will I communicate my message with full confidence? Like Those feelings that are internal, if I can anchor them into the now, and live in that type of feeling that I'm going to have 20 years from now today, I'm going to unfold that life around me. So when I get on a show like this, when I get on stage, when I'm leading the company, no matter what I'm doing, I'm anchoring myself to that Nicholas in 20 years from now. 
And so when I come and I speak absolutes and I speak the truth and, and what I think is excellence, the best thing that I can deliver today, I speak it not based on, oh, well, you know, I think this or I think that. No one wants a thinker, right? People want a solution. People want to know the answer. They want polarization. They want something that's absolute. And so the only way you can have that is if you have confidence in what you're saying. And the way that I, I draw that is by ripping the Nicholas from 20 years ago or 20 years in the future into the now. And I walk in that today. And I, I'll throw this Nicholas 20 years in the future. He can live out there. I don't care. I want to live as the guy 20 years from now. How can I accelerate that growth? By seeing who am I? How do I act? How do I think? It's almost like having a mastermind with my future self. And if people can get that, then all of a sudden they start believing in what they can do. They start picturing what they are going to accomplish. How are you going to get to that 20 year from now self by working at Arby's or, you know, sitting there and like doing these stupid things every day? Like that's how I do it. I get into state before I walk into rooms. If I'm going through a problem, if I don't feel like I have the right posture, I do I go back to that anchored moment, that memory. And you always want to make it an emotional moment because then it's actually like any goal or dream that's not emotionalized will never become real. It's something that you look at at the end of the year and you're like, oh, wow, who knew I wrote that down? It's a big difference than feeling the emotion, feeling it. So it's almost like a memory. You can anchor that memory and become that person now. And to know you are 26 years old at the time of this recording my goodness, good for you, man. Good for you. I cannot wait to follow you each and every year to that 20-year mark because certainly you're going you're gonna to continue to do incredible things and um, highly impressive with what you've already done. I know you know that. I know you feel it. Keep doing it. Keep changing the world, which you certainly are. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into this, like I said, extraordinary, magnificent, and incredible person. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you, everybody. Till next time, go get them. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.